Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your weekend is not complete without the first lady of New York radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Whatever holiday you're celebrating, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, you name it, we are wishing you all the best. And hopefully this coming new year is going to be lovely, wonderful, healthy, happy for one of all. We've got two of Broadway's brightest lights joining us on this Christmas day. So settle back and enjoy the Joan Hamburg Show. And come join us every Sunday at 2 o'clock. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Take Me Out, which is the Tony Award-winning show written by Richard Greenberg, has come back to the Helen Hayes Theater. I don't know if it was there. I forget where I first saw it. But it's at the Helen Hayes Now on West 44th Street. And among the stars is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. And I have to tell you, I saw the show the other day, and I had seen it years ago. And this show, which centers around a baseball star, a mixed-race superstar who comes out as gay and is suddenly dealing with things he never thought he'd have to deal with because he's playing baseball and he's great at it, about homophobia, racial prejudice. This show is as relevant now as it was when I saw it. I, I forget, I think it was 2002. And it was a huge hit everywhere and now a big hit back on Broadway. And Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who you know from all his Broadway work and from Modern Family, where he reigned for 11 years, he has a wonderful pivotal role in this. He plays the financial manager who is also gay to this big baseball team. And this show took some time, like a lot of major Broadway scheduled openings the pandemic came up and they had to wait. And in your case, Jesse, it was what, two years? A lot happened to you in that two year period. That's that's right. Yeah, two years. We were supposed to premiere this in 2020. Uh, and we were in our second week of rehearsal when um, everything shut down. So we had, we had started on the work, but we hadn't gotten to the point of actually getting onto the stage yet. Um, but at that time I was, you know, expecting to be a, a father for the first time. My son was going to be born in Ju- July. And so, you know, I was able to uh, focus on that. And now I have a toddler and here I am doing, <laughs> doing Take Me Out on Broadway and, you know, with a little less energy than I would have back in 2020 because now I'm a dad and running around after a toddler. Certainly no sleep. I mean, that takes a really long time. 
but an exciting time too. And such a different experience, even though you've done a lot of Broadway from being in a major comedy or a big TV show, Modern Family, for 11 years. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a great luxury and something that doesn't happen a lot to actors that we actually get steady work for a long time. And it felt like I had like a, you know, a real job. Like my, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a microbiologist. And I was like, oh, I'm just like my parents. You know, I go to work every day. I do the same thing and <laughs> it's great. And then, uh, then, you know, the reality of what it actually is to be an actor came with uh with that show ending and of course then everything shut down for two years so at least i you know didn't have any sort of fear of missing out on anything we were all sort of in the same boat but i'm so happy to be doing what i love doing again um i I love being an actor and i certainly love theater i mean it's my first love as you as you said joan i mean that's how i started my career and um you know tv was this sort of happy accident that happened to me and i was thrilled that i got to do something so meaningful and uh, resonant for so long, but I can't tell you how exciting it is for me to be back on a New York stage with this play particularly, and it's a play that I also saw um, back in uh, 2002 when it first premiered at the Public Theater, and then I saw it again when it transferred to Broadway, and it's deeply meaningful to me, Um, and one of the reasons I, I saw it three times, and one of the reasons I saw it three times was because of the performance that Dennis O'Hare gave in the role of Mason Marzak, I just thought it was revolutionary. And uh, I, I had never seen acting like that on stage before and with such beautiful language. I just love the play itself as well. And I thought it was beautifully directed. And so I, it was a play that really um, struck a chord with me. And I'm not a baseball fan. So it, it was, you know, but, it kind of took me by surprise. Um, but, you know, your character, to... your character, yes. who is not obviously... He's the money manager. He's not a baseball guy. And all of a sudden, we grow with him and his obsession with baseball. And I'm telling you, Jesse, I'm not going to look at baseball the same way. For some reason, this version of the show, I don't know why it affected me so much, but it did. Mm. And I did see it the first time, maybe two times at downtown and then when it came to Broadway. But... There was something about this that resonates with almost all of yeah. us, and it, it's very, well, we're all very at a special. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a different okay. time twenty years later, and you know, it's a play that when Richard Greenberg wrote it, he thought it was it needed to get on stage quickly because it was only a matter of time before a major league baseball player um, would, would come out of the closet. And here we are, twenty years later, and that hasn't happened. And there are these, you know, lines in the play about democracy and, you know, baseball is better than democracy because unlike democracy, baseball acknowledges loss. And here we are, you know, mm-hmm. on the heels of a, a president who refused to leave office. It's like there are lines in the play that people assume we wrote for the times we're in now. And, and didn't. they're not. They're not written for today. They're, they're words that were written 20 years ago. And it does resonate in a much different way. And, you know, I think time away from any piece of art makes you reflect on it. I mean, I, I realized I had been reflecting on this play for 20 years. So when I read it again, I looked at it with different eyes. And that's a great thing about, you know, being able to revisit great work. You know what else I, because I've been trying to see as much as I can see, because none of us could do anything for all those years. The mm-hmm. audience is different. 
the audience, and it's only from seeing three or four shows so far, the audience is so eager to embrace this experience, your yeah. show and yeah. other shows. It's like they're so grateful to be there. The house gets so yeah. quiet. The anticipation is so large. And you know, at the end of the show, especially if you see it on a matinee day, they get up, they want to make their buses, trains, whatever. No one got <laughs> up. They were like, I just yeah. have to absorb this another minute. And yeah. it's special. Right. And especially with yeah. you guys waiting two years, none of us knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. We all thought maybe a few yeah. weeks the most. Right. Right. Well, I think it's one of those things that, you know, when something's taken away from you, you realize that you've taken it for granted. And, you know, it's, it's the fact that we get to come back and we get to celebrate live theater together again under different circumstances. You know, everyone's masked and, you know, we're having to show vaccination records before getting to the theater. But right. I, well, I, like I think the audiences that are showing up, that are leaving their house and coming in, are so grateful to be there. And we definitely feel that. No, without question. And you guys waited, uh, waited a long time for this and got this wonderful part. I had no clue yeah. that you were, I remember you wrote a cookbook called, what was it <laughs> between, it was Food Between Friends. Was that the right. name of the cookbook? That's right. That you yes. did a while ago. I never yes. knew you were such a foodie. Was that from growing up? Well, Where did all this <laughs> come from? Uh, yeah, well, my, my mom, you know, would cook for me, but she, uh, you know, this, she was a working mother who, you know, made meals for her, her family as, as many working parents do. Um, it was after I moved to Los Angeles and with, you know, that move, I was able to inherit a little bit more space. You get more, you get more, uh, real estate for your money in Los Angeles. And I had a larger kitchen. You know, I, I, and my kitchens in New York were always the size of a postage right. stamp. All of so us. I just, I never really, you know, I never, yeah, exactly. I never, I never cooked in New York. And so once I was in LA, I, I it's a hobby I started. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to actually go to culinary school, but, uh, you know, modern family, the schedule of modern family didn't allow for that. So uh, it's something that I sort of taught myself how to do. And I'm a cookbook collector. And, um, I, one of my very close friends went to culinary school and would cook with me and sort of teach me certain, you know, techniques that she learned. And we just started developing recipes together. And that's what the cookbook ended up stemming from. Uh, but it was also a project that uh, we got to finish in the pandemic, which was a nice thing to, uh, to focus on. Uh, you, know, able, you know, we weren't able to necessarily gather in person to finish working on the cookbook. We did a lot of things over Zoom and you know, over phone calls and text messages, but uh, it was a nice project to sort of focus on and, uh, you know, pour my creative energy into. Uh, I'm really proud of it. It's a, it's a really great book, if you ask me. <laughs> no, I, I think it's fantastic. And is your husband a foodie too, like you? Yes, he's a foodie, but he does not cook. He's an so eater. I, I'm, I'm, he doesn't, he's an eater, Joan. He doesn't even do the dishes. No. Well, he's smart. <laughs> His mother probably told him, if you start doing them, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I know my it. mom. Well, he never started, so. Never. Right? My mom used to tell me that about ironing. She said, you know, I could teach you to iron. The problem is once you start, 
you're stuck. Yeah. You're going to be ironing forever. <laughs> Smart advice. And that's, that's like food. Is he an actor? No, no. He's actually a producer. Um, well, he's a, he's a lawyer, and then he, uh, he works with, with a lot of nonprofits. He worked on the Proposition Marriage Equality case. Uh, he's so. done so many wonderful things. Um, but recently, he, he's actually won two Tony Awards in the past few years for okay. uh, as being a producer of the Oklahoma Revival and then also the Inheritance. And this past season, um, he helped bring uh, Dana H. and Is This a Room to Broadway, which I'm so proud of. Um, I've, those are two plays that I, I greatly admired and, um, you know, really pushed the boundaries of what theater can be. So uh, he's – and actually we're um, – uh, we ha- are producing a documentary about Broadway's return after COVID right now. So that's something that we're in the final stages of editing. Um, so hopefully that will be something that we can all see soon. So, you know, he's got his hand in a lot of pots. That's, that's a great idea. And did I read that even when you were eight years old, you knew you wanted to be in theater and got involved with a kids group? Or was that... Yeah, I I can't remember a time when I, I remember seeing uh, a, a play and and my mom took me to go see a children's theater production of Alice in Wonderland or something. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, oh, I want to be on stage. I don't want to be watching this. I want to be on stage. And I told my mom that. And I was a very quiet kid. I was an introvert. I was an indoor kid. You know, I, I didn't have a I was shy. So my mom was shocked that this was something that I wanted to do. And I think she, you know, was encouraged that I wanted to do it. And so I joined the Albuquerque, Albuquerque Children's Theater and, uh, you know, uh, did plays with them for, you know, five or six years. And it was, you know, it was my, it was my favorite thing to do. It was, you know, I, I, I didn't have a theater program in the school I went to. So it was just fun extracurricular thing that I got to do. And it's where I felt like my people were, you know, I, uh, I, I just loved being around other artists, even at that age. Yeah, well, and it, it's a gift. And then you really, including food, never looked back. Mm-hmm. And you've worked. Yeah. yeah. Did you do? No, I'm trying very, to remember because fortunate. Right, lots of Broadway, but what? How did the television thing come? That was an incredible well, run. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when I was doing um, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee on Broadway, uh, the uh, writers David Crane and Jeffrey Cleric, uh, who were famous for you know working on Mad About You and Friends, came to see Spelling Bee, and they were casting a sitcom called The Class. And uh, I got a role on that TV show, so that's what actually brought me to Los Angeles. And it was a cast. It was a great cast, actually. Um, Heather Goldenhirsch was in it, and Julie Halston, and Sam Harris, and mm-hmm. Lizzie Kaplan, and Jason Ritter. It was directed by James Burroughs, who directed all of Cheers, and you know Frasier, and uh, you know Mash. You know, he's an icon in, in the TV industry. And that show, unfortunately, only lasted one season, but that sort of made my mark in the, the TV landscape. And a few years later, they were casting Modern Family, and. Uh, then I, I I got that job, so you know I I, I was sort of swept away uh, to uh, Los Angeles unexpectedly. It was I I always thought that I would be coming back to New York sooner than later, and now I've actually probably lived in Los Angeles longer than I've lived in New York, which is shocking to me. I uh, well yeah, L A. Everyone complains, but it's a way of life that's sort of 
becomes irresistible for a lot of people. Now, are yeah. is, yeah. what you do about New York, you're he, all here now? Yes, yes, I have my family with me here. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we, we love coming to New York. And this is the first time that I've gotten to come to New York and work on a play since being a dad. So I'm figuring out, you know, how to manage my time with that. And, uh, but we have a, I, I have a place here in New York that I, you know, come back to a lot. So it's, it's nice. I, I truly get to live uh, the bi-coastal lifestyle, which is something I'm very grateful for. Right. And have you changed your feelings about baseball now that you have sort of an insider's <laughs> view? It's so funny, Joan, because I, we, we got a private tour of Yankee Stadium last week um and i was i was happy to go um it was you know something i was like well, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity but then i got there and I, we got to run around on the field you know with these with the empty stands and there's a part in the play where mason says you know uh i i had for several minutes i had an entire stadium entirely to myself and that was thrilling and that's how i felt i felt thrilled by it and i I, I made me want to see a baseball game and it made me, you know, I, I definitely have a deeper respect and understanding um, for the people who are baseball fanatics. Um, I, you know, had to sort of immerse myself in this world and I'm with all these guys who love baseball and it's, I'm sort of having the same trajectory as my character Mason does in the play. I'm slowly falling in love with it in a really profound way. Right. And, and for people, I mean, my family, my husband, a fanatic, baseball and football, ay, 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 mm. you know, it was too, <laughs> too much. But I never got, I said, it's a team. You know, I can understand if we were all players, but fans are incredible. And for many people, yeah, this true. is life-changing. And yeah. even, and in I your show. how I feel, but yeah. yeah. Go ahead. That yeah. what? Well, I was going to say, I think about, you know, that we're just talking about how great the audiences are in, on Broadway. And I, you know, I can associate it with that. Like, you know, the people who love theater love it so deeply and it means so much to them. And so I use that. I, when I'm thinking about baseball, I sometimes replace my feeling of theater with baseball. And that, that gives me that joy. And that's why I can go to those emotional places on stage because I understand what it is, what it feels like to be so emotionally connected to something. Um, because I, that's how I feel about theater. And you know, um, the star player, whom you're the financial manager for, during mm -hmm. the intermission, when I got up, I love to hear what people are saying, and they were all saying, well, I think that Darren is Derek Jeter. And that was like oh, yeah. <laughs> the ladies on the ladies' room line that's what they were talking about, <laughs> you know, trying to guess who he was, yeah. and there right. we go. Yeah. Yeah, we so. certainly modeled off of a Derek Jeter type of presence in baseball, for sure. Yeah, well, and, and the obsession that fans have, yeah. all of it. it, it yeah. This this is quite an amazing play, and you lucked out. You're the only star who doesn't have to walk nude on the stage. So you can eat away during this. Yes. I, I eat lots of pizza and cupcakes in front of my cast members and they hate me for it. 
So, and you are the cooker. Do you have the chance to bring them your homemade things? I'm, I'm, I, they keep asking me to bring them in something to eat, and I, I haven't had time yet, but I, I will do that for them, yes. Well, I wish you the longest run. It's a wonderful Broadway <laughs> experience. Take me out. It's at the Helen Hayes Theater. And, boy, when I saw it, it was packed. It was a sold-out house, yes. which is very exciting. And Broadway is the heart yes. of New York, so take advantage. It will make you feel so good. And we all need to feel good. I thank you. That's I wish right. you congratulations. Enjoy your family. All the best. Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Thank you, Joan. Anytime, thank Jesse. You. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. A while ago, I watched the work of a mentalist, a mind reader, Ossie Wind, and I, it was the most stunning performance. And I've had magicians as guests over the years, and inevitably they talk about Ossie and the influence he's had on their lives. So I was excited when... I heard that he's bringing his show, The Inner Circle, and actually David Blaine is going to be producing, and this is a big deal, he's never done this, and he's producing Ossie Wynn's Inner Circle at the gym at Judson, 243 Thompson Street. So, and Ossie is an Israeli. I mean, I'm just, you know, a lot of people are curious if, Actors, singers, dancers, they start when they're little kids and it's like God-given talents. But I'm curious, what's the root for a mentalist? How does one become this? Is this a gift from when you were a child or what? So I don't know if I can say it's a gift because I worked my ass to get to where I am. So. I, I, you know, it, it, maybe the gift is that I had this burning desire to pursue this. Uh, the gift is that I was uh, relentless and I wanted to become as good as I could uh, with this uh, profession, which is magic, mentalism, and all, all the above. But I think that it is, uh, it did not come to to me as a gift. It didn't come for free. I really had to work hard, and I still do, uh, to make it uh, as spectacular as I can. So I don't know if I can call it a gift. But were you, how did you even get hooked on magic or illusions? Did your family take you to see people work, or where did even this glint of an idea start with you? Sure. Um, you know, I, I will make an analogy here that's, that's it's easier to people to understand because when we start as kids, we all paint and draw. We all like to hold crayons and we're not judgmental about it. We just do it and we love it. And somewhere along the lines, you start to think, you know what, I'm not good at it. And you start believing that you, you suck at it. And then you say, okay, I will never 
you know, touch another pencil or crayon in my life because I'm not good at it. And then you abandon it. Um, and I, I saw that a lot of kids, especially boys, uh, at some point in their lives, they get a magic kit. It's a toy. They get a little toy and they play with it. At, at first, they have fun. They enjoy it. They try it out a few times. And at some point, they convince themselves that they're not good at it. And they just abandon it like anything else. I think that when I got my first magic kit, I was hooked, and I never stopped believing that this is more than a toy. This is something that I can reach, touch people, and make someone's day. Um, And the more I dealt with it, the more I investigated and researched about magic, the more depth I found. I found psychology. I found performance, public speaking. I found many facets of of magic that are not very related to the technique or the secret of magic. It, it goes beyond that. So uh, I think it, it started as a journey when I was a kid, and it just never stopped. Where to a lot of kids, it's just a very short episode. And what you do is so original. You know, people who don't get to see great magicians perform sort of think it's, you know, finding a woman in a box or doing <laughs> something, but it it isn't that at all. You know, it's it's really um, an interest. it's a great question because the truth is the bar for magic is very low. If you fooled me, you are a magician. Uh, and, and, and it's not true. It's not enough. And again, if we can borrow from other art forms, which will make it easier to understand, if somebody can sing in tune, it uh, doesn't make them a singer, correct? It, right. Or somebody can can hit the, the piano keys at the right sequence and whatever, at the right speed or whatever it is. I'm not a pianist. But it's not enough to make him a musician. He needs to be able to use, let's say, music or painting or whatnot to touch people, to to move them. So it's the same with magic. It's not enough, hey, look what I can do. I fooled you. You don't know how it works. Uh Uh-uh, I'm a magician. It's not. Uh, I use magic as a vehicle to communicate, to touch people, to move them. And it's hard. Uh, And and, and unfortunately, you know, some people have never seen a magic show live. So they have nothing to compare it with. So, yeah, I I think it's, you know, to to get good at it, 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 you have to go beyond just fooling people with a trick or whatever it is. It, and it's a very difficult thing. It's very, very difficult. And you have to be able to create an illusion, which is really, to me, what it's about. For sure. And, and most, and that's another problem, that a lot of magicians are not very creative. They, they go and, you know, seek magic books and whatnot, which is legit. And they learn the tricks and they perform them verbatim. Where, you know, for me, I always, when I look at anything, I say, okay, how can I make it me? What do I need to change about this so it's, it's, it fits me, it's custom for me? So that's where, you know, my obsession with inventing magic comes from. I really love, you know, tweaking it and thinking, like, I, I think that the author of the trick is where he stopped, but now it's my turn to pick it up where he stopped and continue working on it. So that's where the invention comes. 
Now, you um, are an Israeli, and what made you leave Israel to come here? It's a long story. I'll try to give you the short version of it. Um, I, you know, it turns out the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Israeli dream is the American dream. <laughs> Everybody of has course. a dream to, to come to America. And, you know, uh, I talk in the show about my obsession with New York and how when I first came here, I walked down the streets of New York and I felt as if I stepped into a movie set. I, I recognized <clears throat> so much, more than I could ever imagine. I recognized things from sitcoms, from movies, mm. and it, it felt majestic. Um, when you, Israel is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a great, I, I feel like everybody should go and visit. It's wonderful. But for me, as a magician, the opportunities to uh, pursue my career, to do magic, to meet my mentors was tremendous in, in, in the States. And it just opened so many doors that I said, you know, I, I have to stay here. <laughs> uh, and again, in the show, I talk about the fact that, you know, when I came here, I had nothing. I had $100, maybe. <laughs> so, and Did I had you a, have uh, fans here? Um, fans or family, you mean? Fans, people, you know, who no, are following no, no, no. you. No, when I when I moved here, I was 21. Uh, nobody knew who I was. Um, I literally started at the very, very, very bottom. I did birthday parties. I did whatever I could get. I mean, the first thing I did was I went to the streets. I went to Washington Square with a deck of cards, and I performed to strangers on the street, and I barely spoke English, <laughs> and I tried to earn a dime. You know, I it, it was, and it's funny, the struggle was a lot of fun. I, I remember that it was ne it never felt like a struggle, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, how did I not go, you know, insane? Because I had to start from zero. Uh, it's language barrier. It was a culture barrier. It w everything was against me. And, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved the struggle so much. It made me grow very quickly. And who discovered you? Um, it's, it's, I think it's a bunch of anecdotes, uh, and, and each of them was, uh, pivotal and important for my career. Like the first thing I did, there's a show in New York called Monday Night Magic. It's an off-Broadway show, and that's where I started. And, you know, the, 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 something interesting about the magic community. I can fly to Ben Koch and, and by myself, and I put on Facebook, hey, I'm here in town, if there are any magicians who want to hang out, within... An hour, I've had 22 magicians show up, and we went mm -hmm. to a restaurant, and we spoke about magic and whatnot, and it seems as if we've known each other for years. Like, the brotherhood of the magic community is unbelievable. So I think that's what happened when I came to New York. I made lots and lots of friends quickly because I met lots of people who were fascinated and passionate about magic, and it immediately I, I was in a community. And it was a wonderful thing. So I would say Monday Magic was the first kind of community, a place where I could perform and, and grow. And then the second thing, I, I, that I, there's lots of them, but I'll point out one more, is I walked down the street with my dog one day. And a friend of mine 
was walking with David Blaine, like we're crossing paths, and David Blaine and, and that mutual friend of ours was with him. And then he stopped and he says, oh, this is the guy I told you about, and he's pointing at me. <clears throat> you guys have a lot in common because you like the same type of magic. There's like lots of bran- uh, branches of magic, and a specific branch of magic, which I'll talk about later, is something that David and I really are passionate about. And David says, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking my dog. He says, oh, well, come to my office after you're done. I said, sure. And I went to the, the office, and David and I just clicked. Uh, we ended up playing backgammon until 6 a.m. in the morning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we, we became friends before anything. And, and David has been, you know, I started working for, for David as a, as a consultant and then as a chief consultant. And the relationship was very hopefully beneficial to both of us, but definitely for me. Because, you know, I got to, to work on TV shows. I got to work on uh, his first uh, live tour. Uh, and, and, and I was exposed to a lot of great, you know, entertainment that I was not exposed to before. So I, I, would, I would point those two things. There's a lot of others, but those two things are pivotal and, and important in my career uh, when I came to America. But you also... Love to tell stories. I'm a Jew. <laughs> yeah, you're an Israeli. I was going to say. Israeli didn't Jewish. have a story. Yes, yeah, stories are important. You know, here's the thing about magic, which is a lot of people might not know. I can't do magic. No one can do magic. So what I really do is I try to get people as close as possible to what seems like magic. And then I ask you, the audience, to take the final step to complete the illusion. So in other words, if you don't have a great imagination, if you don't have the willingness to see something spectacular, something magical, it's not going to happen. So you are the co-author of any trick I do. And, and, and it's, it, that's part of what I love about magic, is that it really is uh, a relationship between me and the audience, and we need both of us to create, you know, what you would call magic or whatever it is. So that's something I really love. Now, actors will, even very successful ones, take classes, courses, study, Mm -hmm. workshops. Is that the same with people who are in the illusion world or the magic world? Sure. Yes, of course. You know, as a matter of fact, in my current show, it's called Inner Circle, and it's called Inner Circle for a reason. Um, it took me a long time to understand what the name of this show is, and then when it hit me, it was, yeah, of course, that's the name. Because I am not working alone, because I, I stand on giants, on the shoulders of giants, and I had many, many mentors. So one thing that I really love to do is to paint. And during the pandemic, I had a lot of free time. So what did I do? I started painting all of my mentors. I made portraits of my, of my mentors. You know, people like Ricky Jay, Houdini, Blaine, of course. Um, and then the less famous ones, Cardini, uh, Juan Tamariz, who's a household name in Spain. So these people have mentored me directly and indirectly. So, you know, I would fly to Spain to spend a week with uh, the maestro Juan Tamariz, who is 
one of the greatest living magicians, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion. And yes, I mean, we will sit down and you will say, you know, you should do this. Maybe you can see, like, definitely mentorship is a big part of my, my uh, progression in magic. And I, I owe them a lot. <laughs> well, you're, you're doing great. And I urge everyone to go see Ossie Wynn's Inner Circle. It's presented by one of the greats, too, David Blaine, at the gym at Judson through December 31st. And it's really extraordinary. Congratulations thank to you, you Ossie. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk again, I hope. <laughs> I All hope the so. Best. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. Just the other day, someone asked me about visiting Storm King, the art center in New Windsor, New York. That was one of our great days. Uh, my family and I went up in our car. It's a beautiful uh, area. We walked all over the place and we enjoyed all the art. And if you belong to it, you can visit without an advance reservation. It's open Wednesday through Monday, 10 to 5.30. You do need a timed entry ticket, and it is the best to reserve it in advance. And all you have to do is go to stormking.org. They release these tickets in two-week blocks, and they are available on Wednesdays starting at noon. And they will fill you in. You can go online and check everything. This time of year is the perfect time to visit Storm King Art Center. It's only an hour north of New York City. It's in the Hudson Valley. And you shoppers, 15 minutes from Woodbury Common. And you can go apple picking in Warwick, 500-acre sculpture park. People who are in the art world say this is one of the world's greatest outdoor sculpture museums. There are more than 100 sculptures and installations, well-known artists like Roy Lichtenstein, just Alexander Calder, Richard Serra, wonderful pieces of art and the fall foliage, the beautiful grounds, the views, the countryside. It's fantastic. Now, there were trams, so if you don't want to walk, you can take a tram through the park. You can rent a bike. Not your own bike. Don't bring it. They don't like that. And they have a bike rental barn right at the park, and it's $15 an hour, a two-hour minimum. But it's such a great thing to do during this kind of weather. And there's a map that comes with the bike. It shows you the routes, and it highlights sculptures, it's just something so spectacular. Now, we've done some things like bring a picnic lunch, enjoy the grounds and the vistas. 
We also have bought food from the Storm King Cafe. Pretty good. And it's got a locally sourced menu. During peak weekends, two additional food and drink options are available. They have a food truck and a food cart. And if you want, the town, which is just a little bit away, is maybe 10 minutes, has a lot of restaurants. We've eaten at several places. The farmhouse market in town is really fun. And it has meat, cheese, charcuterie, beer, wine, cider, all from local establishments. One of the things I'm going to tell you about at Storm King is the most impressive. It's called Wavefield. It's a landscape piece by Maya Lin, the artist known for she did the Vietnam Memorial. Quite spectacular. They have a daily tour right through the exterior of the mansion and the local grounds. It's excellent. And you get to walk and you get an overview. And there's always a visiting artist. They now have a Kenyan-born American artist. Incredible work shown at the small indoor museum at Storm King and Museum Hill. She focuses on women through mythology. It's very moving and very timely. So something wonderful to do to enjoy the color and enjoy art and enjoy good local food. Storm King is where you want to go.